Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. I'm your host, Acacia Courtney, as it is episode number 30 of this little old podcast today, which is pretty exciting. I want to just say a big thank you once again to everybody that's listened. Um, I've had a lot of people actually come up to me and say that they've been enjoying the show, that it's interesting content, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. Sometimes just scheduling and, and trying to find the link to what's happening in the sales world and the racing world can be a little bit daunting, and I really promise I put a lot of thought into it and try to make it relevant to what's going on as well, um, and a lot that goes into it, a lot of passion and uh, really caring about the topic and about the world of racing as well. So I really appreciate all of that, all of the support, everybody that shares um, when I post the links all the time as well. And of course, a big thank you to the whole In The Money Media team for giving me this platform, allowing me to talk about a topic that I find so fascinating. So with that, we are in the midst of the Keeneland September yearling sale, also back racing at Belmont Park and at Churchill Downs, some really big stakes action coming up this weekend as far as East Coast racing is concerned. I'm back personally, physically at beautiful Belmont Park, back commuting as well. And so if you're commuting in the car, uh, driving out to Belmont, like I am daily, maybe listening to In the Ring, I hope, while you're driving, um, but looking forward to all of the exciting stakes action. So we'll talk about that a little bit on today's show. Um, some really fascinating guests, and I hope that you enjoy this afternoon and happy to have you along the, for the ride on In the Ring. Very pleased to be joined now by my friend Saul Cuman, who has uh, many winter circle pictures and some very big races and excited to get a chance to pick his brain a little bit now. Saul, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Uh, so as I said, we've seen you in the winter circle a lot of times here in races, in the Triple Crown with Justify, the great lady Eli, uh, partnerships, and you've got some that you're now breeding as well. You're expanding in a lot of different ways. How important for you in this great game of racing has those partnerships been? I mean, the partnerships have been a big part of our uh, of our stable. I mean, we've, mm -hmm. we've owned very few horses really by ourselves. Um, you know, we've just felt like owning them with a with a group of friends has always been a little bit more fun and we've always tried to sort of spread our risk we rather own you know whatever it is a third of uh 150 horses rather than owning 50 by ourselves it's just mm -hmm. always been um you know the model that we've that we've used for us and uh and it's worked pretty well you started off, uh, I, I loved hearing the story when you did cart talk this summer in Saratoga with Jonathan Kinchin, starting off with Lady Eli, not even having silks and to kick things off in, in the world of horse racing with a horse like that, were you kind of bit immediately or was it just, wow, you're on this incredible journey and you wanted to see where it, where it was going to take you? Yeah, I think at the beginning we really had, um, you know, we, we just had no expectations. We did mm -hmm. it sort of for fun and really you know, didn't grow up with racing and didn't know anything. So um, I think what Lady Eli did was really open our eyes to um, to the sport and to the highs um, and obviously to the lows when she got mm -hmm. sick. So, um, you know, you, you, you got a chance to see really every side of, um, you know, the, the good and happy days and, and the sad days too. And I think um, that whole experience is what really opened our eyes. And, and um, obviously, since then, we've gotten a little bit, you know, more serious about it, mm -hmm. and, um, so, you know, spend it significantly more time than we did at that point. And it's been, uh, it's just been a, become a big part of our lives. And it's been a lot of fun for us. 
you talked about the highs and the lows and there's there's so many of that and about spreading the risk too as far as being an owner you have to be able to kind of ride that wave so to speak tell me about some of the challenges with owning racehorses because i mean they will keep you humble they will prove you wrong and they will make you want to bang your head against the wall but they'll also bring you some of the most incredible memories at the same time yeah, I mean, you, you have to learn to just be patient. I mean, it's uh, it is a uh, emotional game. Um, the highs are, you know, uh, they're as high as you can be. I mean, I you know, I think of some of my best memories over the last five or six years, and and, and um, you know, many of them are are you know, winning big races with partners and family and friends around. And um, you know, I think as you win more big races, you start to really appreciate how how hard it truly is. Uh, to get there, you know, the whole path of, you know, acquiring the horse and, you know, having to sort of climb the ladder and win the prep races to get to those big races and um, you realize how things just all have to go right and have to go right at the right time to, to be able to, um, to sort of reach the, 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 the top with, you know, in some of these divisions with some of these horses. Um, you know, the, the hardest part and the part that's always the most difficult to swallow is just the injuries. Um, you know, the, you know, you're at any point you could have, 25, 33, 20% of your horses hurt. And, um, you know, you get used to those calls from the trainers. They're, they're, you know, they, they're not easy. They're normally when you're, they normally happen to be the good horses. They normally, normally happens when they're sitting on a big race that you have plans to go to with your kids and your wife and, uh, and your partner. So it, it, it's tough. It doesn't get any easier. Um, you know, sometimes you get frustrated, but, you know, just hoping that there are injuries that the horses can come back from. And, you know, we've always tried to just be patient, give them time, if you treat the horses well, they, they tend to treat you well back. And, um, you know, we're lucky that we, we have a big enough stable that, that normally when a few horses get hurt, we can kind of stomach it and, uh, and be patient and do the right thing. So it's, it's tough, but you know, we had a year this past year where, you know, Monomoy girl was, you know, went through a tough time and needed some time off and Charlatan had a, a season ending injury and, um, you know, uh, aunt Pearl came back after winning the breeders cup and, and, um, you know, had some issues. So, you know, we had three, you know, top quality horses all get hurt right around the same time. Um, when you sort of thought about the year, those were horses we were really excited about. Yeah. So, so that's tough, but you just have to, you know, believe in the process and, and, um, you know, and, and things come back around. You talked about Monomoy girl and she's just, she, she created such a fan base too. She showed up every single time and obviously, um, some tough, some, some tough pills to swallow along the line. She missed an entire year at 1.2, but then coming back and being successful like she was, um, what does she mean to you? And, you know, you've really had, you really had some very special fillies and mares in your stable as well. Yeah, we love buying the fillies. You know, I, I think, you know, our stable is always going to be about 60, 65% fillies. You know, our, our process has always been just to, to be in this for the long haul. And, um, you know, they obviously retain their value in a, in a nice way. And it's just a big part of our stable. Um, I think because Lady Eli was so early for us mm -hmm. and and we got to, uh, you know, experience that, we it, it kind of made us a little bit biased towards the fillies. You know, I mean, back to Monomoy Girl, I mean, just, uh, you know, one of the, the great horses that that we've owned, um, you know, right at the top of that list. I think what made her so special was, um, you know, obviously you touched on it, her resilience to to come back, mm -hmm. um, but just her heart and her effort, um, and really how significant she was, um, you know, just for for the many people that she touched throughout her career, right? I mean, with, with um, you know, obviously Brad Cox's first Grade One win. Um, 
you know, think about where Brad is today. I mean, yeah. it feels like he's winning a grade one every weekend. He's yep. training for, you know, many of the biggest owners in the sport. And, you know, this was just four or five years ago where, you know, this was his first, second, third, and I think fifth grade one win or something like that was all <laughs> the same horse. Um, and, you know, it, it really catapulted him. I think it showed many people how talented he was and, uh, and is, and, and he's really come to, to, to be as, you know, it's hard to argue he's not the best or definitely one of the best trainers in the game winning the Eclipse Award last year. So, um, you know, that, that makes it special. Uh, when you go on those journeys with these great horses, with great partners, you know, we had a, had a blast campaigning her with, with great partners and, um, you know, Ferrant rode her in all of her races. And, uh, you know, he's obviously become a super close friend. And I think part of it was going through Bonamoy Girl. And, um, you know, there's always great stories behind great horses. And, and, and she's obviously one of them. And we're, we're hoping she's going to come back soon. She's mm -hmm. back in Brad Cox's barn and training and, and so far, knock on wood, doing well. And, uh, you know, we're hoping we'll be able to run her a few more times uh, before she's retired. Awesome. I think it's so fun for the fans to get a chance to follow her as well um, back this year in 2021. And um, I had uh, Liz Crow on the show a couple months ago talking about what Monomoy Girl meant to her as far as buying her and a first big purchase. And um, you were able to team up with Liz and Brad in Aunt Pearl, who you mentioned, who was purchased over in Europe and Tattersalls as well. Tell me a little bit about expanding to some of the European sales and immediate success that you had with that. Yeah, you know, we, we've the European uh, horses, especially fillies, have been a big part of our program from the mm -hmm. beginning. Um, but they've all been buying proven horses, um, nothing uh, unproven. So, Aunt Pearl was was different for us. Um, you know, we we bought a handful of uh, of horses at, at Tattersalls. I think it was five or six, and um, she was obviously the one uh, from the group that that uh, that did well. And you know, she's a you know incredible filly. I mean, what she was able to do last year was was really truly spectacular. Um, she wasn't unfortunately able to kind of follow through and bring it back this year, but mm -hmm. um, but really a, a special horse. And and um, you know, Brad Cox did an unbelievable job with her. When you go over and you buy something new, it's a European horse, a new venture, young horse, uh, like at the Tattersall's yearling sale, and then you get a Breeders' Cup winner. Does it make you kind of want to expand more into Europe? You mentioned buying proven horses, but it, does, it, does it make you want to kind of go through that process again? Um, yes and no. I, th mm -hmm. I think we're always trying to, to try new things and, and really honestly see what other people are doing. Sure. Um, the Tattersall uh experience obviously for us worked out pretty well just buying five horses and obviously ending up with one really good one mm -hmm. um this year I, you know i i think we're going to go over and, and look to buy a few horses but it'll mm -hmm. be a pretty small part of our program you know there's a, a bunch of other u.s owners that are doing it and doing it in a big way um and have had some success uh you know clarvage stables and peter mm -hmm. brandt and e5 and, a, and there's a handful of other people going over and doing that and so we're, we'll probably go in a different direction. You know, I, I think uh, we're trying to find things that are a little bit less crowded. Um, so, so I don't think that'll actually end up being a huge focus for us. Um, you know, the proven horses in, in France, we've got two awesome agents, um, Nicholas to watch and, and Hubert Guy that mm -hmm. have been buying us horses privately in France for a long time. And uh, both are, are terrific judges of talent and, you know, great people and honest and um, they've been great for us. So, uh, we, we definitely will continue doing a lot of business in France with both of those two. And, um, and that'll uh, continue to be a, a really big part of our program. 
We had uh, another European horse that will be one of the favorites this weekend in the Jockey Club Derby, Soldier Rising, who ran second in the Saratoga Derby this summer after four races in Europe and coming in from France, too. That's got to be exciting, seeing a horse run well in the first U.S. start and running in these big kind of races, always the goal, right? Oh, it's great. Yeah, he's he's been fabulous since he got here. And, and um, you know, Christoph has done a great job with him. He's he's really liked him from the beginning, um, which is great. And, and he doesn't always like them from the beginning. Um, so uh, I was gonna say, you're pretty familiar with that. Yeah. So he's, uh, he, he's, he's trained great. He ran really well in his first race. Um, you know, I think the race actually turned out to be a little bit tougher this weekend than I was anticipating yeah. um, with some more heroes that popped in there. I was thinking it was going to be a little more of a U.S. centric race, but um, listen, it, it, it is what it is. He's doing well. He's in a good spot. He's got a great jockey and a good post. So at this point, you know, you, you've kind of done everything you can do and you just hope that uh, you get a little bit of racing luck, but we've been uh, fortunate with him so far and excited to see him run this weekend. What's one of the biggest things with those proven horses, you kind of know what you're getting, right? What are some of the things that you look for? Is it kind of untapped potential with bringing some horses from Europe to the US or just a running style that you think can transfer over? You mentioned the agents that you use. What are some of the things that they point out to you as some good value, a good buy to bring here to the US? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's, um, it's, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, firm ground. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that that uh, the ground there generally is, is obviously softer. And um, there are some horses that really, um, you know, just need firm ground. And um, so we're, we're always looking for that. Um, you know, I think, um, I think trying to find uh, certain pedigrees that we think are going to, uh, you know, be able to, to handle the U.S. The training in the U.S. just most of it, obviously, being on dirt. Um, there are there are certain European horses that that uh, Nicholas and Hubert think will be able to uh, to endure the training. Um, I think some of the mistakes that that happen bringing euros to the U.S. is just they they are lighter boned and you know can't handle the training uh, on the dirt here, and so that's one thing that we obviously take into account. Um, you know when we're when we're buying these horses, and then we're obviously looking for sometimes the stuff that's not as popular. Um, meaning we've we've bought a bunch of geldings and and uh, you know older turf horses that uh, you know run for bigger purses here that that once they kind of get through the three-year-old um you know sort of big time for them the arc those type of races and especially in france um you know they're easier to buy you can buy them for for less money and people here tend to be focused on the phillies so um you know we have a horse tribuvin that, that won the united mm -hmm. nations this year that was an inexpensive purchase a few years ago we had a horse called wake forest uh that that won the man of war um so we've been able to find some somewhat inexpensive horses um that uh you know, that, that people really aren't looking at the same way um, because of where they are in their careers. And buying those kind of proven horses, some of those older horses, especially with turf, it seems like they, they really take care of themselves. They can run longer. They are a little bit more durable, as you mentioned. And that's so fun. I think that those horses, I, I really enjoy getting to run those distance turf runners because they show up every time and, and they seem to stay sound longer as well. 
Totally, totally. And they can run, you know, their, their stallion value is generally almost always zero. So <laughs> you, uh, you know, you, you can run them for forever. I mean, you know, as long as they enjoy their job and enjoy what they're doing, um, you know, you can keep, you can keep running them. And, and uh, you know, we've been fortunate to have a bunch of them that have, that have kind of run at six and seven, and, you know, even some of them older. And, uh, and, you know, and that's great because you have, you know, your fans kind of get to know the horses and, you know, you're obviously, they become a big part of your stable for a long time. So it's, it's great. I wanted to ask you about a younger filly that you actually bred fluffy socks because I think it's such a cool story. I remember when she won at Pimlico, you were kind of telling me about it out of a mare that you owned that never won uh, by Slumber, who obviously you were part of as well. Tell me a little bit about how she came to be and how fun she's been carrying your silks and being as successful as she has been. Oh, she fluffy socks could be could be the top of the stable as far as popularity <laughs> in our in our house today. Um, it's actually kind of a funny story. We uh, you know, the first time we had ever gone to the races, um, I had my youngest son, who's definitely the most into racing, uh, who just turned ten, I think, at the time. He must have been four or five years old. And uh, you know, we went to the races, and we were sort of I think it, it was either the first time Lady Eli ran or or the first time Tammy the Torpedo ran. And uh, again, we knew very little about the sport. And you know, we asked him to pick a, a horse in one of the races, and he he picked a horse um, that was named Dinner Time. Um, he said, I, "I want Dinner Time to win." And and so we watched the horse. The horse didn't end up winning. Um, and then we won a race that day and we went home for some reason, he was still so young. He thought that we owned dinner time and he kept talking about this horse. So finally we had to explain, no, we don't, we don't own dinner time. That was just a horse that was running that day. And, you know, he finally understood it. So when we had our first, second group of yearlings that, that next year, uh, we let him pick the name of a horse and he tried to name it dinner time. And we explained to him, no, that dinner time's already taken you. You can't name it dinner time. So he decided the name it breakfast time we convinced him that was close enough so that turned out to be fluffy socks mom and that was his first horse in his mind um as a, maybe a six-year-old or a five-year-old or whatever uh -huh. it was and so breakfast time showed some promise early and um you know chad was excited he ran the horse i think as a maiden in the miss grillo and um turned out she got hurt and never kind of reached her potential so mm -hmm. instead of selling her we ended up keeping her and she was really the first um mom that we had ever kept mostly because sam just couldn't swallow the fact that that uh, we weren't <laughs> going to own her because it was his first <laughs> horse and so obviously she wasn't worth a lot so we had um campaigned slumber and um at the time he was at calumet and uh so we bred the horse to slumber and this turned out to be the offspring and so he obviously named the horse fluffy socks and uh you know it's been a it's obviously been a a, a favorite for us in our house i mean it's you know they have a you know a homebred um you know go on and, and turn out to be a pretty good horse is is obviously great and um you know it's funny we obviously buy a lot of horses privately we we buy stuff at the sales you know there there are people that that say that's not the natural way to do it and that you know it's harder as a you know when you when you breed a horse it is harder it is clearly more special i i, I yeah. see all those things it's unfortunately not the way we we run our entire program but um it's been it's been a lot of fun and um you know we, we visit the horse every day in saratoga over the summer that we're there and he ends up in, in chad's back barn so we can go at night and you know before we go to bed sam goes by and yeah. brings her brings her peppermint so it's Aww. uh you know it's 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 awesome and he's made it he's made fluffy sock sweatshirts for him and his buddies and <laughs> it's uh you know she's she's really special in, in our house and unfortunately i don't think we'll ever be able to sell her either so we'll end up having her babies at some <laughs> point uh, so it's uh it's it's great it's a good story and it's it's mm -hmm. super fun for our family which is really what it's all about for us
Yeah, that's awesome. And I love hearing that that he loves her so much too. And uh, and she, she's been good for him, greatest stakes winner. Um, so that's such a great story. But buying horses at the sale, as you said, uh, obviously a big, big part of all of it. The Keeneland September yearling sale going on right now. Um, you've been active in partnership quite a bit. Uh, tell me a little bit, give me a little rundown of uh, what's gonna be joining joining the stable so far after a few sessions down. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited. I mean, this next couple of days, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do a little bit more damage. We've got a bunch of stuff that we're excited about. Um, uh, you know, we've got a couple of groups that are buying horses, obviously the, the um, you know, the group that we've been buying with for the last couple of years, um, you know, with, uh, with SF obviously running mm -hmm. the group and Starlight and we've got a few other partners in there. And, um, you know, that's the, the group that Donato buys and the horses go to Bob Baffert. And um, we've ended up with some, some good ones, Authentic, Charlton, et cetera, coming out of that group. And obviously Pinehurst that, that just won the Futurity last weekend um, with, a, with a promising uh, group of two-year-olds. So, you know, not a lot of change in that group, frankly. We were, you know, hoping to buy somewhere in the same uh, number that we've had the last few years. Mm -hmm. And I think we've bought 15 so far between phasing and obviously the majority of them done at, at Keeneland over the last few days. And, um, you know, I, I think we'll buy more. I don't know if it'll be 10 more or 12 more or 15 mm -hmm. more or eight more. It'll sort of depend on the horses and the price and, and all that stuff. But, um, you know, that group's been been really excited about what we've been able to do so far. And and again, we don't know which ones will be good, but yeah. but we, uh, we're hoping that, that we get a few good ones out of the group. And um, we have a, another group buying some Colts that uh, we're partnered with Bob LaPenta and um, an E5 Racing, Bob Edwards. Um, that's a, a new group um, for us. And, and Jonathan Thomas is the one buying the horses for us. And, um, you know, we again bought a few at Phasig and we bought a bunch of Keeneland so far and, and hope to be active here in the next handful of days and kind of round out that group, which will be exciting. Um, we're buying some turf and some dirt and um, some proven stuff and some, some newer uh, stallions and, and we'll just kind of to give it a whirl. And, uh, and then we're going to buy some fillies as well. Um, Jonathan Thomas will buy us a few and, and um, we've got Donato um, buying a handful of fillies with, uh, with another group that, that uh, is got Bob LaPenta with us again uh, and Eric Johnson. And um, that group hasn't been active yet and expected to be more active kind of in book three, four and five. And nice. so it's, it's exciting. I mean, we, we've got a couple of great partners picked out and um, we've got, really most importantly good people picking the horses i mean i think uh you know for for me i i know what i know and, and know what i don't know and the amount of value that i'm adding looking at a horse at a sale would be you know zero to negative <laughs> um and i know that so um you know donato is um you know he's incredibly talented i mean you know i think he won three grade ones in a weekend uh, a few weeks yeah. ago with three different horses he bought at three completely different price ranges so he's super talented and and he's doing a big chunk of the buying for us and and jonathan thomas we think is also extremely talented and he's doing a, a bunch of it for us as well so you know i think with this stuff you have to find people you trust um, you kind of let them know what you're looking for, and then you have to step away. And I get excited when I look at the, um, you know, the, the sheet at the end of the day, the sales summaries, and and uh, and see what we bought that day. But I definitely don't get in their way when they're, um, you know, they're buying during the day. Does it kind of feel it's like Christmas? It's like the new toys arriving, all of the excitement, all of the future to look forward to when you kind of wrap up a sales day. Totally, it's 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 really exciting. I you know I've been busy working and, and chasing my kids around, so I haven't been able to to follow as, as close attention as I normally am able to, like over the weekend, I'll be able to watch a little more closely. Um, so, you know, when I get home at night and, and hop in bed on my iPad and pull up uh, all the results from the day, it's, it's great to be able to look through all that stuff and, and, uh, and see what you got. And then it, it, you know, all the dreaming begins, right? You sort of think about the next crop and start getting excited. And, um, 
and that's you know that's that's what the sport's all about a lot of dreaming well i know you're a busy man saul the phone's going off you got a lot going on i really Sorry. appreciate it. I apologize. it's all I, good it's a busy house here we got no school for the kids today so it's uh we've got kids floating around all over the place <laughs> every time the door opens we get a little buzz so i apologize no you're totally fine <laughs> i really appreciate you taking the time good luck this weekend and good luck with the rest of the sale awesome thanks so much thanks for having me have a great rest of the day talk to you soon I have a special guest with me now, Dan Pride, Chief Operating Officer of Godolphin USA. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you this morning. It is a pleasure. Great to be with you. Well, Dan, it's been such a big year for Godolphin here in the United States, worldwide, uh, winning a classic with essential quality in the Belmont Stakes, top horses as we get closer and closer to the Breeders' Cup. What's kind of that feeling like, obviously, for such a, a historic and, and storied operation as Godolphin, but to see that success on such a big level in one year like we have in 2021? It's been awesome. I mean, you know, the year, the last 18 months have been weird for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see the success on the racetrack, basically exclusively with homebreds, which mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a little shift we've done in our program um, recently to have more focus on homebreds. You know, we've always had the homebreds along with sales horses. And, you know, this is sales season. Nothing wrong with sales horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had success with sales horses in the past. But, you know, with having we approach this as a team sport um, with our group here and we've got an awesome, awesome team. And so to kind of see the, the validation of what we put in place and, and everybody's contribution has been awesome. With a horse like Essential Quality, I think he's the one um, that we've really followed a lot over the the past years. He's done very little wrong with two-year-old champion and coming back and seeing Godolphin get the first classic victory with his Belmont Stakes win. What was that like? Especially, as you mentioned, he's a homebred as well. He's a homebred. And, you know, it was, and I'll be honest, the the Belmont was great. And Mm -hmm. like you said, it was a classic win. Now, selfishly, the Travers was actually a little yeah. sweeter because, not because the, the value of the race or the prestige of the race, we had a big group of our team at Saratoga. Mm-hmm. And so when we had um, our whole senior management team there, uh, we had some other folks who were instrumental in our program there, that really added a whole other to it. Now, the Belmont was great, and being out, and we had, you know, there was a few of us there, but it was not the same level of excitement as when you have you know a broad group of your of your crew with you that that was really special races like the belmont like the travers um obviously huge and prestigious races that are special to win and as we kind of look at what may be in the future for essential quality moving on towards the breeders cup perhaps with a horse like him who just shows up every single time Obviously, for Godolphin, you've had tremendous horses uh, over the years and, and such a strong breeding program. But seeing a horse succeed in those kind of three-year-old top elite races like those, that has to be very special. It is special. I mean, our our racing program, it's a center point of what we do here. It's mm-hmm. what, you know, Sheikh Mohammed is really passionate about and driven for. But, you know, also we have a stallion barn here, which is a, a big part of our operation. So, you know, these classic races, these Colts, um, 
that's what drives our future mm-hmm. in the stallion barn. And so they're really intertwined. Uh, and so to have the success we're having on the racetrack is going to help bolster what we're going to see in the stallion barn in future years. Well, the year kicked off with another big win, the Dubai World Cup with Mystic Guide, who unfortunately I know has been sidelined. But the what he did and then Maxfield as well, Maxfield I believe pointing to the Woodward too, to have some older horses as well in that handicap division. Can you give me some updates on them? Sure. Um, yeah, Maxfield, he's in Saratoga still, and he mm-hmm. worked this past weekend, and I think Brendan's going to go up and see him this coming weekend. And – yeah, he's on track for the Woodward, and I think you know that it's it's a mile and an eighth. Um, mm-hmm. It's got unique configuration at Belmont for that race, but uh, I think Brendan's really excited to see him at that mile and an eighth with that configuration there. Um, the horse looks spectacular. I mean, he always when he comes out to the paddock and to, on the track, it's it's a horse that you notice just because he is that imposing, um, and he's really thrived. Um, in Saratoga, you know, obviously we didn't have the Whitney go our way, but he got beat mm-hmm. by a very good horse that that Brad trains and Nick's go, and uh, but we feel confident that his his spot in the in the Woodward will be a good one to kind of springboard him forward to the Breeders' Cup. Um, you mentioned Mystic Guide, um, another beautiful horse, thankfully, um, mm-hmm. and he is you know he's been out just for he had a minor procedure and he's back rehabbing and and we're hoping to get him cleared and ready to go by the end of this month to to resume training and and you know we'll have uh kind of the final decisions about who's going to return as 2022 uh on the track and who may retire so we have not made those final decisions but you know we're luckily in a spot to to have some choices absolutely so Big, big names uh, as far as just the, the top 10 uh, polls do go with those dirt horses in training. But you also mentioned about having the stallion aspect of your operation and seeing those bloodlines carry on. Maxfield out of a Bernardini mare who was a tremendous sire, but I think even just unbelievable broodmare sire who unfortunately we lost Bernardini this year. Can you tell me a little bit about how special it is to see that legacy carried on through a horse like Maxfield? It is. It is. It is very special. And, and you know, Bernardini, he was kind of our original. I mean, he mm-hmm. raced in the Darley Silks. He didn't run in Godolphin, as, as most people know. But he was a horse that had unbelievable presence. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not sure if you ever saw him in the flesh. No, but unfortunately not. He he had this eye that just grabbed him, mm-hmm. grabbed you when he looked at you. It was like, boom! You were just captivated. And, you know, losing him, you know, first of all, laminitis is brutal. And to mm-hmm. watch a horse that majestic go through that is heartbreaking. And so it was very difficult um, for the team to have to see that and, you know, end that way. But bottom line is his legacy is unbelievably important to us. Um, again, being winning the Preakness, coming in in the stallion barn, you know, getting off to an a very, very strong start. And, and like you said, I mean, for generations now, Bernardini mares are going to be in pedigrees um, that are going to be influential. And, uh, you know, he is on a, he's already done things at his age and stage as a broodmare sire mm-hmm. that no other horse has ever done. So, you know, I think as more daughters are out there in the, in the pipeline, that's going to continue. Um, 
but you know losing him was just mm -hmm. brutal i mean there's no way to put it but it was it there was it was a very difficult couple days around here I can't imagine. And he really, I think, left so many incredible memories on the racetrack, but in his legacy from the breeding shed as well, as you mentioned. Um, but some other exciting new stallions to look at, too. Um, as far as the sales season does go, I've seen quite a few by a stern. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about him? Because I think yeah. he's a really intriguing stallion. I'm glad you brought him up. We, yeah. you know, it's a very unique play. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously we've got sister operations. We're based in Newmarket. Um, that's kind of our HQ for the global operation. And then we have Ireland. Um, we have Japan. We have Australia and we have America. And mm -hmm. so we have a, a great relationship with our Australian partners, uh, the Godolphin team there and the Stern being by Medallia Doro got on our radar as a we call it a reverse shuttler where his mm -hmm. you know home base is Australia and he came here and you know we gave it a shot Medallia Doro has has done unbelievably well and was, mm -hmm. was very popular and it was one of these plays that we said we'll give it a chance he was at a lower price point a stern was that gave people a chance and I mean he's really gotten off to a, a very good start with not a whole lot of opportunities I mean relative to some other stallions that have you know, big numbers he does not have. And we purposefully, you know, don't breed the massive books. Um, and a stern, especially being a reverse shuttler, we even kept him a little tighter just because of the, we didn't want to put too much pressure on him. And mm -hmm. and so he doesn't have the, the size foal crop, but he has had um, some impressive first time out. He's got a couple stakes horses already. We had a horse uh, win Saturday for Brendan Walsh at, at Kentucky Downs named Grail. Yeah. Um, who is one of our, I mean, he came out of Florida, the pre-training, and was one of our more thought of Colts. And uh, so his win there was, was gratifying at Kentucky Downs. And, you know, he's a big, long striding horse. He should get better, you know, with added ground. And, um, no, I think we're excited about it. It's definitely something that, mm -hmm. that we think has some potential. I'm always intrigued by some of the new stallions and, and like you said, with uh, coming over from Australia, but it has to also be exciting here in the U.S. when you have some stallions that race in the Godolphin colors with a horse like Frosted, who's had a couple of crops now and has also gotten off to a tremendous start. Yeah, Frosted, he's he's another picture. I mean, he's, I call him the oil painting. I mean, he uh, he's matured <laughs> he unbelievably is. well and he's another one that grabs you and and it was dynamic on the racetrack. I mean, that Met Mile on Belmont yeah. Day was one that if anybody was there, they'll, they won't forget that one um, mm -hmm. because you just don't see performances like that. And, and he backed it up, uh, you know, later in the year and, and came in here and was very, very well supported. And his crops have gotten off to a very good start. You know, he, he's he's had several horses that look like they can break through. Um, you know, when you get to the first crop three-year-olds, to keep the momentum going, you know, you got to have the, the horses on Saturday afternoon running in the big races, mm -hmm. um, being competitive. And, you know, he's given himself a chance. And so uh, we're very optimistic about him. I've heard he's I've heard he's a little bit feisty to be around. He is feisty. Sure. <laughs> he, he's not. You know, there's and you understand this from the backside. There's mean mm -hmm. and we've had mean horses. Luckily, yeah. we don't have any mean stallions, but we've had <laughs> ones that. You know, you don't turn your back on, and uh, he is not that. He's he's cheeky. I call it. He's cheeky. <laughs> he just likes to play, and you know, he weighs twelve hundred and fifty pounds, and mm -hmm. you know, he can play and make an impression. So you got you got to pay attention to where you are with him. But he's 
He's beautiful. Um, he's actually, he's in Australia. So he's actually, I'll just diverge. Sure. He's a shuttler to Australia. Mm -hmm. And he has gotten off to an unbelievable start in Australia with his first crop just turned three. And there's a chance, we don't know yet, but there's a chance that um, one of the Godolphin runners named Ingratiating, who's a, mm -hmm. a frosted homebred for Australia, he may run in the in the Everest. We have a, oh, a wow. slot in the Everest. Um, Godolphin does there, and there's a chance that Ingratiating will take that spot. They they have very high expectations for him this year, so um, the horse is actually he's actually standing for more now in Australia than wow. he did here in America based on his first crop there. So that's encouraging. Absolutely. Yeah, really exciting to see how that all pans out. And you mentioned the diversity as far as the different operations between Australia, the U.S., and Europe, but there's also some diversity as far as the trainers used and, and the different kind of program here in the United States as well. And you mentioned some of the pre-training in Florida and where a horse kind of gets its start. Um, if you could walk me through the process a little bit, before a horse even gets to a trainer's barn, obviously, you all are familiar with what you have on your hands. Well, you think you do. You have opinions. <laughs> so, I mean, so we're fortunate that, you know, here in Kentucky, we basically have three divisions. And so the mayors fall in one of these three divisions. And we have John Abell here in Fayette County. Mm -hmm. Michael Banahan does a great job managing that. And he oversees the stallions as well. And he's a very, and he's one, he's our longest standing uh, serving employee for Godolphin in America. Mm -hmm. Great guy. Um, so John Abell, and then we have Gainesboro in Woodford County. Um, and we have Danny Mulvihill there that, that oversees that group. And then Jerry Duffy is in Bourbon County at Stonerside. So all these foals are going to be born and then raised um, on those divisions. And then they go to Florida. You know, we, we use Eddie Woods, uh, mm -hmm. we use Niall Brennan, we use David Scanlon, we use Bridlewood with uh, Mita Murphy there, who's mm -hmm. outstanding. Um, and then we keep some back here that are later bloomers that we, we just start here at, in Kentucky um, with Jeff Mulcahy. So those all start their process and back. April, um, make a trip there, and, and Jimmy Bell's very involved in the racing, and he and I go to Florida and we'll spend time with the, the pre-trainers and we just basically try to put them in groups. Um, it's very rough groups, but you know, A's, mm -hmm. B's and C's and try to figure out later developing. This one needs to go early. This one looks turfy. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's again, it, I wish it was a, a science, but it's more <laughs> of a, a guessing art is try to allocate them to trainers on circuits where we think they can reach their potential. You get surprised both the good and the bad always when mm -hmm. you're dealing with these horses. And um, and that's, you know, we allocate them to try to put them in the best spot. And, and we do move them around some. And, and we have a great relationship with the trainers that, that know that horses may move around um, if it doesn't fit where they are. And, and that so far has seemed to work. Just seeing the overall, we talked about some of the success and some of the history of the operation started by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed, who has done so much for the sport of horse racing as well. Um, if you will, tell me a little bit uh, just uh, about him and some of the things that he's done through Darley, through Godolphin over the years. Yeah, well, I, I think in the history of, of thoroughbred racing, I think mm -hmm. he would have to be at the, at the top of the pyramid in terms mm -hmm. of passion, investment, 
broad-based impact globally. Um, and it all starts with the horse with him. And, you know, fortunately, he was exposed to horses as a very young age. And, you know, he's a horseman first. And thoroughbreds became a part of his life when he, uh, when he was educated in England. And, and luckily, he went to a horse race and, and found that to be his next frontier. Um, but he's been very involved in endurance racing and, and supportive of that. So we've just been fortunate that he picked the thoroughbred and then also um, had the, the foresight and the ambition for a global reach and to try to you know, build something that uh, really had an impact across the globe with the horse. But, you know, his, imp his impact on people has been mm -hmm. equally uh, impressive. And in a program that you know well is uh, the, the Godolphin Flying Start program, which um, Miguel's a graduate of mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, has made, you know, now I think I'm a trustee of the program, so I'm, I'm very involved in it and, and very proud of it. And, uh, you know, there's now 170-plus graduates around That's the amazing. globe that, uh, you know, will, will have an impact for generations, really, in terms of what they're now involved in themselves and the organizations they're leading. Um, so it's really a flywheel that is going to continue to to create uh, impact on the industry and, and people. And then, you know, you've got – Charitable giving is a big part of our corporate culture here, and um, you've got Katie LaMonica who heads that up, and, you know, we've got the Thoroughbred Industry Awards coming up next month mm -hmm. in October, which, you know, is a global program. Each country where we operate has its version. Um, it's called Stud and Stable and some other jurisdictions, but here it's the Thoroughbred Industry Awards, Employee Awards, and it's very impactful. And, and that day, you know, we have – Luckily, we're going to have an in-person ceremony again this year. But, you know, it is to see the impact it has on on uh, staff who get recognized by their peers or by their bosses or someone they know. Um, and to see that play out on that lunch is it's also a very, mm -hmm. very impactful day. I think for all of us that are involved in any facet of the thoroughbred industry, that passion really does come first. And for you, what does it mean to to be a piece of this company, this organization, this global impact piece uh, that is so important to the history of horse racing? Well, my standard answer for somebody asking me how I'm doing, I say I'm still, <laughs> I am still spoiled. Um, we are we are very fortunate. I mean, I think you know, and part of the culture we've tried to build here, and I think it's globally, but, you know, I focus here on America is, you know, we try to take our job seriously, but not ourselves seriously, mm -hmm. because we know we are very fortunate, you know, to work in this operation. Um, we've got great team members who are long serving, who, you know, really understand the blessings we have and, and the opportunities to try to represent his Highness in Dubai and, you know, do things the right way and um, get to represent the organization, focus on the horse. You know, we, we've spent a lot of time on the horse. That's our, you know, our core mission. And, you know, retraining is another thing I didn't talk about really with our charitable mm -hmm. efforts. And, and, you know, we've got Emma Brown Lovett here who works with me and Jimmy and is very involved in the retraining. And, and she is passionate about that. And, and we've really spent a lot of time on just making sure at each stage, you know, the horse is, is looked after the right way. And we're fortunate. Mm -hmm. We know that. We're fortunate to be able to do it the right way. And we try to hold ourselves to that high standard. So I'm, for, I'm very 
very lucky to be involved. And again, I mentioned the senior management team. We've got a group of us that that kind of steer the ship, and you know, we all have a long-standing relationships. We got several Flying Start graduates who now have worked their way into senior management positions. And you know, I jokingly say we have the added benefit of actually mm-hmm. liking each other. Um, <laughs> But we enjoy working each other. That when I talked about the Travers and we were all together up there, and you know, it just—it's not the same. I, I, and I think we know that it's not this, this yeah. way everywhere. And so we just—we're lucky to be able to, to take advantage of it during this time period. Well, it, it is amazing. It's a seeing the Godolphin silks in the winter circle. I think if you're a racing fan, it never really does get old. And Dan, I really appreciate your time wishing all the best through the rest of the year and uh, looking forward to seeing those horses at the races again that we talked about today and uh, looking forward to seeing you at the racetrack sometime soon as well. Well, I would love it. I would have to throw one little thing in here. I thought of yeah. this, that, um, that now, and I know we don't want to get too personal, but now with you and Miguel, yeah. and we got Dan Blacker and Christina, and we got Tom Morley and Maggie. <laughs> Those three guys are all Flying Start graduates. You three ladies are <laughs> all involved in the media business. So I don't know what there is, but I think there needs to be a podcast on what is the dynamic there that is causing these unions. It's amazing. Actually, Christina Blacker uh, texted me when Miguel and I got engaged. It's something in the water, <laughs> yeah. I think, too. It's something in the water, <laughs> but I'm, I'm in very good company. You're in good company. <laughs> y'all, each, each of y'all have your own style and approach, and you do an excellent job. I mean, Thank you, you so you much. You really, y'all each have a great uh, mark on the industry, and, and what you do is, is noted. So well done to you. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, uh, it's a good advertisement for the Flying Flying Start, which is an amazing program. And uh, once again, really appreciate your time today. All right. Take care, Acacia. And that'll do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. A big thank you, as always, to my guests uh, this week, Dan Pride and Saul Kuhlman, both both of those individuals uh, with runners coming up this weekend. So wishing them the best of luck. And yeah, we're still very much in the midst of sales season. I think over the next few months, we're going to have a lot of excitement, a lot of action going on as far as the sales are concerned. So looking forward to talking about all of that that's coming up and um, hope that you'll be tuning in on our show, America. Day the races for some coverage of racing this weekend and all of those good stakes. And um, if you're following along from home, as far as the sales are concerned, too, I always recommend go to the sales website. You can oftentimes watch the live stream of the sale that's going on. You can check out the pedigree pages. You can really learn a lot. And then you get a chance to follow those horses once they head to the racetrack, too, which is something I really enjoy especially Saratoga. If you're out at Del Mar, you see those two-year-olds, those really stacked maiden races, and you start to look through pedigrees. And I love going back if they sold at public auction to the sale, um, if it was a two-year-old sale, especially if it was a yearling sale, to be able to dive into those pedigrees a little bit more. And there's lots of great uh, um, lots of great options, lots of great uh, information on the different sales websites. So certainly take advantage of that. And I'll have a lot more exciting action coming up for you on next week's episode of in the ring as well as always please feel free to share and please let me know if you have any interesting topics that you think you'd like to see covered on in the ring pedigree and breeding sales podcast Uh, we cover all of the things here on in the ring Um, and as always check out all of the content on in the money media till next time i am acacia courtney thanks for listening to in the ring